G'day everyone, it's Millie here from the Livestock Collective. I am so excited to introduce you all to a new episode. If you enjoy this episode, please make sure you subscribe and scroll back to all our previous episodes. Today we have brought in Alicia Keppert. Alicia is a livestock leader and she has an inspiring story to share with you today. How are you, Alicia? I'm very well, thanks Millie. Thanks for having me. No, thank you. It's great to have you on board. So Alicia, we start each episode with the same question and that is what are three words you would use to describe yourself with? Well, thank you for the question, but three words is really a bit of a challenge and I was just earlier (laughs) saying to Millie, sometimes the simplest questions are actually the hardest ones to answer. So um, I'll do my best here and framing it in three different areas. Um, I guess, Millie, that I I see myself as someone that's curious about the world and the natural world and as a continual learner as well. So um, I, I always curious enough to want to know more and develop relationships to seek that out and to to do better in the world and to see that positive change in the world. Um, I'm a natural, I guess, a connector of people. So uh, it's it's interesting because I don't necessarily think uh, I'm an expert in any defined area as such, but I am a very good connector of people. So if I see a relationship, I'm very good at um, linking people with people um, and to also... um, I guess, yeah, see, see the, the, I guess, the bigger change that could happen just by aligning um, people's work and values together. And I guess a problem solver. So if I do see gaps, like I, I want to make that difference to, to change them. So, um, yeah, there's always better ways to do things. Uh, including answering this question in th- three succinct keywords. But, uh, yeah, that, that's me. Thank you. So it sounds like you're a big picture type of person. I'm definitely a big picture thinker. Yeah. And, um, and, and I was only reflecting on this just relatively recently, actually, because there, there are those other big picture thinkers out there. And I think actually, we're probably a little bit less common. And, you know, and, and actually, sometimes people really don't know how to take us. People want to see the detail, the analysis, the, you know, um, that detail which we're out in space and we're looking at bigger um, bigger change on a bigger scale and making the connections to achieve that so yeah so obviously everyone brings different um, ways of working and skills into um, you know into work roles and and teamwork and uh, the beauty of teams is that big picture thinkers are really good people to have on your team Um, and as probably many of your listeners would know the best team is one that's made up of, of a variety of personalities that bring a combined amount, you know, number of strengths to the table because seriously, if you had the same type of people, um, you just wouldn't achieve what the potential um, is. So it's really important for managers particularly to make sure that they do have a little bit of, you know, diversity of working and even a form of conflict within their teams because from conflict obviously be- becomes that opportunity to do things better um, and to be on that cycle of continual improvement. Yeah, absolutely. I've recently got very interested in personality types and personality testing. And all I'm thinking right now is imagine 10 of me running around at the same team. It would be an absolute it's disaster. scary, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, yeah, love, yeah, love that we're going down that track um, because you're right, like balance is very important. What I want to talk to you about, Alicia, is I just I want to get your story. Like, where are you from? How did you 
come to be involved in agriculture? Yeah, and thank you for the question again, because my story is probably really driven my direction for the 25 years, um, the last 25 years to where I am now. And um, that story started really um, as, a, as, as a teenager and living and um, having been grown up in Perth and born in Perth, I, um, I attended a very metropolitan high school um, and it was literally a really crazy decision um, while my friends in my circle of friends, I can name, you know, one went off to vet, one went to law, one to, went to social work, um, one went to vet nursing, there, there really wasn't um, any even a peer-to-peer -peer kind of um, influence in terms of what I went on to do. So I enrolled in agricultural science and that decision, while it was really life-changing, it was really not based on any evidence <laughs> of having liked um, that particular area. Uh, the only thing I recall really is uh, we went to a farm to plant trees on one particular day with an overnight stay and we planted trees which was great for the farmer and pretty exciting for us I've got to say as students because we forget that those students in those schools don't get that experience that farm kids do on the farm so um, yeah it was amazing um, world and that that trip does actually stick with me so long after that was in 1992 or three or something like that so um so I remember a um a local um, department of agriculture um, officer coming out and doing a groundwater test and these sort of things I don't remember a lot from school but I seem to remember those things so obviously they stuck and I was curious that that when you asked me before what were the the words that described me I obviously had that natural curiosity about the the natural world I loved I already identified with loving um, outdoor spaces obviously as every young person does love animals and I particularly like plants as well so I, I grew stuff and uh, yeah I guess that roll of the dice where I enrolled in an agricultural science course that was the first real major gamble of my life and um, once I was in that course I was set I knew it felt like home to me strangely I met amazing people and friends and their lifelong friends they most of the people in my course because I was highly unusual to have come from the city at that particular time uh, were from farms so I got a lot of um, time on other people's farms and it just consolidated that this was the right direction. Yeah, I'm just thinking that if agriculture got you hook, line and sinker so quickly, how many other kids are out there if we just give them an opportunity? I think that's so exciting. And then you've since progressed that career. So tell me about that journey in the country. Yeah, so um, I guess I did a four-year degree. Um, my honours research at that time, um, so that was back in the late 90s now, was investigating staple strength. Uh, and Millie and I have just had an earlier conversation about a shared love of the wool industry. Um, so let's talk about wool for a minute. So wool, I just love that industry. Um, it was probably what got me into loving agriculture so much. Um, I love the fact that I often carry around in my car, believe it or not, a handful of wool or a fleece of wool because at any opportunity I can turn that into a teaching activity for young people in schools. So, you know, I'm talking about things like uh, a bit of investigation. We can we can give them the, 
the, the bunch of wool and they can look through it. They can see the seed in there. They can, uh, we can talk about how that animal has uh, grazed and what kinds of species might have been present and where it's camped at night time. We can look at uh, the strength of that wool and we can pull it apart and we can analyse a bit of uh, where it breaks along the staple uh, and we can tie that into management and, and, um, and get them to, um, to feel. And, you know, learning is so much about touch and feel and that experience that tactile experience so then we can link that softness that comfort those physical properties of stretch um, we can link that to life as a consumer and that's what makes this um, context just so fabulously exciting we know that there's also a really strong touch point coming through of these young people um, which is about sustainability and the care of their earth and generations to come uh, so we know that you know, things like fast fashion, that's not going to cut it anymore. So this is where the wool industry, you know, can find new markets domestically with young people um, and to create um, products that, you know, that life cycle analysis um, will, you know, performs better than anything, that it's naturally biodegradable at the end of its life cycle, uh, unlike all our plastics and synthetics. So, you know, there's this really opportunity right now to link our world with theirs. And it's such a craft and such a skill, but yeah, it, it's there. So let's all work together to achieve that. Um, so I was looking at the effect of staple strength with feeding wieners on a different diet. And that was a very good experience. And then after post-uni, I um, did a wool classing certificate. So I am still registered as a wool classer. And I actually then moved to the country. So then um, my partner and myself, my partner at the time, I should say, we bought a property and uh, a little, a property of 100 acres. So not the postage stamp size in comparison to other people's properties. But yeah, that was amazing and, um, and gave me that further love of being actually being able to be practical and have the farm on my back doorstep. I also became a mum quite young. So um, I knew that living in a small, very small country town, I, I knew having done a uni degree that I did feel that urge to work professionally so um, I wasn't a kind of person that was going to um, kind of be satisfied with being a stay-at-home mum forever and that was my life and and the farm was my sole outlet for creativity so um, I I did a teaching degree by correspondence actually so from the farm uh, my son didn't sleep much as a baby but when he was 12 weeks old I started my degree in education I cleared the, the kitchen table at lunchtime every day and, and sat down and studied. And uh, three years later, got my degree and uh, with only ever having the intention of teaching in one place, which was the local ag college. So at Narragin, which was a short distance um, from my property and very happily um, taught um, lots of kids there over the next 10 years. So, um, so I was an animal production teacher and um, yeah, really loved uh, sharing. So I had come from really zero base of knowledge right through to educating even uh, farmers' sons and daughters and other kids that had chosen that pathway as well. So yeah, that, that was a really great experience. And yeah, uh, I still like to hear and see where those kids have gone to. Yeah, wow. Um, that transition for you to, to be out in the country it sounds like you just absolutely loved it and thrived off that opportunity to to be busy and to um, make something of yourself that you felt obviously felt like 
you wanted to be, you wanted to educate others on agriculture. Yeah, and it's important for any young people listening that, you know, where you are in, um, and, you know, you get a little bit wise with age, I suppose. I didn't seem very long ago at all that I was your age, but, you know, you do learn that where you are now is not necessarily where you are always going to be. Um, And that is totally a decision and a mindset that you create for yourself. So for me, it was important to have my mind working um, in other ways. And, and I guess now you've asked me all those questions about my personality type and that, that that actually makes sense because I was a person, a big picture thinker, doesn't like to be contained in a box. In fact, they if the box doesn't allow any expansion for them, they, um, they feel very trapped. It, it kind of makes sense when you reflect on it that I would go and pursue other things and, um, you know, and I'm still open in my in my life and my career to experience other things. Um, I've, I've had um, other things happen in my life that has also changed my perspective and my direction and that that's natural that you use your lived experiences in your life, not just your, you know, the things that you've done academically, that you're using actually all things when you bring things to the table and they become very powerful leadership qualities as well in terms of bringing other people on and and leading other people. So there's a term that I recently came across, which I really like. It's called anticipatory leadership. So that's uh, being a leader before you actually know what you're really leading. You've just got a vision and it's about leading and influencing others to to come along with you on a journey uh, where you can see something, but they may not yet see it. So um, yeah, having that foresight, that's a really important skill. Um, And for any young person, I would just say, be passionate about what you do. When you've had life experiences where your your life has been thrown up in front of your face, it's really quite easy to to make some decisions about whether something's worth your time or not. Um, But you have to be passionate. Otherwise, what's the point? Um, Yeah, like, and always uh, with a sense of gratitude. And uh, with with young people, um, I am just so in awe of the amount of confidence that they're coming along with at such a, a young age. It's certainly something that I didn't have. Uh, we didn't have a great deal of support transitioning from, from university and into the workplace at all. There was no such thing as graduate programs or leadership programs, development programs. They just didn't exist. It was really a case of sink or swim. And I'd just really like to encourage young people to not just talk to other young people, to really reach into the experience that's around them, um, because that that's absolutely a two-way benefit. I learn just as much from the young people I engage with as they do from me. I'm really happy to share my experience there's such a wealth of experience I do see sometimes that ageist um, you know what do they know kind of thing they're not my generation but but those people have lived and worked um, you know for many many more years and they they bring a lot more perspective to the table so absolutely please use those networks and um, and together we will grow and and change the world really um, yeah, it, it is a fascinating journey. And look, we're not even halfway there yet. So so I want to continue on on your journey. So you've since transitioned back to the city. How have you found that? Yeah, so um, so what, I was living a quite a nice life on the farm uh, back in 2010. Um, I left the farm. Unfortunately, I was 33 at the time and I, I received a, a really bad thing in your life to happen I have received a cancer diagnosis so um, I was a 33 young mum so I had two kids um, two young kids 
And um, unfortunately, uh, that was just such a devastating time um, for me emotionally, practically, personally, everything you listed, uh, living in an isolated location on a farm that wasn't even around people for someone that's very much about people and connection. You know, I, I clearly just didn't see that I could be living in that situation for now. And unfortunately, uh, for your listeners, you know, and it's probably well known and probably some of your listeners have had family members in that situation. Uh, it's an unfortunate fact that people in country um, areas have poorer health outcomes when it comes to cancer. Um, and, and that is fact. Um, and I, I, I find that really disturbing. But when you when you look at the, the lives that we live out there in the country, you know, it's the, the distance to services. It's the access to the, the best expertise for your condition. It's all that actually for me, probably the most of all, it's not just about the medical services and the lack of in the country areas. It was the emotional and social ones that were missing um, and uh, the, those ones that you just... Yeah, I mean, medical's one thing, but actually um, being able to pick yourself up and actually function every day, um, that's really, really tough uh, for a long period of time, actually, even post um, post the actual traumatic event. So, so that's something that I've actually turned around to be quite a... Um, a positive in my life because of now uh, as people would probably know me for my advocacy of agricultural education and, and all that wonderful work that I think that we're doing jointly across our industry now to try and attract more young people to that agricultural industry but um, in actual fact one of my other twin passions is to actually advocate for better health services for um, country people and particularly around cancer and particularly for young people okay so for young people the situation is entirely different because you're not at the end of your life, you know, nearing the end of your life anyway. Um, you may not be in a loving relationship. Um, you may be at, like I was, the prime income earning potential of part of your career. So that presents a whole list of other complications that possibly other people don't face. Um, the treatment that you go through is very harrowing and barbaric and uh, that, you know, that still um, has effects on your body for many, many, many years afterwards. So um, as a young person, uh, that's really tough to take. And I'm sure there's people out there that could relate. And um, yeah, so now with perspective, I guess that distance from um, and with time and, and the healing and doing lots of work on yourself um, that uh, you can give back. And that's something that I do champion across Australia really is to try and um, advocate for better health outcomes because I don't think that your health outcomes should be determined by your postcode. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, um, a scary and eye-opening. And a little, and a little um, alert, just just not to alarm people, but but to be alert to body changes. And I mean, mine was so insignificant. Seriously, um, I at the time of my diagnosis, I was running those country roads. I was training for half marathon. I was swimming every single day. Um, I was ridiculously fit. Um, and you know, unbeknownst to me my body wasn't actually as well as we we all thought it was. So um, it's not to be alarmist about it. I think that's really important that we don't want to send people off into a spin about if they notice something that's not right, that it's take yourself to the worst situation first. Um, but it is actually to be be aware because um, particularly with cancer, uh, the earlier that it's detected, the best chance you've got to go on to live a very, very long life and um, and and, you know, 
if you can get in there early and don't ignore things that, you know, I'll, I'll just put this off and see if it changes. If you do a little bit suspect, you need to take it further. And in fact, even if you take it further and, um, and the health services that you use, um, you know, aren't too concerned, if you still have that concern, uh, you should still pursue because that's happened more often than not when, when that happens. And unfortunately, um, because country areas do draw more inexperienced practitioners, uh, that, that is an issue. Yeah, because they see they, they see less of it. So, you know, if you're a health practitioner in the city and that's your specialty, you see it every day. Yeah. Yeah, just being more aware. Is that a key message that you would like listeners to get out of today if even one person is more aware of their body and has that confidence to go to a health service? Because we know our bodies better than anyone else. Is that your key message from today? Yeah, absolutely. And for um, so for guys and girls, so obviously with my cancer, so I did have breast cancer. So um, and, um, and actually it's an important point, Millie, because... Um, if you haven't been down this journey, there's a lot you don't know. And um, actually men get breast cancer. So who knew, right? So they do get um, they do get breast cancer. It's not very common, of course, but they can get it. So um, that raises a, another challenge for those men that get such a feminine, um, you know, promoted disease. It's um, That would be another one of those minority groups that possibly isn't caught um, with all the, the services. Um, and, and I also feel for very remote people, particularly Indigenous communities where there's, you know, also language barriers um, and, and other ethnic groups, you know, uh, trying to navigate that um, based on the experience that I felt with a, as being a very educated, um, you know, person that was very capable of you yeah. know, accessing services, I think that would be hugely challenging. Again, that's what I advocate for. We've got to do better there. Those people's lives are not any less worthy and, and we have to do a better job. Yeah, Alicia, I think that's such a powerful message. So key message, like you said, is check your, your bits. And uh, <laughs> and uh, probably a good reminder is if even you just pick the first of the month, make that your, you know, your two-minute check-in with yourself because that's regular enough um, as a point of reference that we talked earlier about. I'll put a stat in there because, you know, as that curious thinker, I um, at the time of my diagnosis being 33, I actually found out that the incident of a 33-year-old having cancer was something like about one in 80,000 or something like that, you know. So it actually relatively is rare, but then in lifetime risk, it's as high as one person in eight. So, um, you know, the when I thought of that figure, I thought, well, God, I'm that one unlucky person sitting on the bench seat at the MCG, you know, like that's what I felt like. Um, but yeah, actually, that really puts it in perspective. <laughs> yeah, but what, um, since I joined support groups um, in that space, there's many, many of people my age. Um, you, you just think that it's something that doesn't happen to you. And I was certainly that person, like I said, fitter than ever in my whole lifetime and nor ever will be again. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it, it, it's not not something that is uh, physical, uh, physically observable. Um, and interestingly, it was when it was the treatment that was causing the physical signs of, of my hair falling out and being bald and um, wearing headscarves and 
and whatnot, um, that also gave me perspective because when suddenly people were standing for me on the train, suddenly people wanted to buy my coffee for me at the counter. Uh, it's really an interesting journey um, when when we care yeah. about people with visible signs, but and particularly with mental health and all that sort of things. There's no signs like people can be quite functional um, without you know, even communicating that there's a problem. But that was really stark for me when I had physical signs, suddenly care and empathy came out um, on show. And, and, and then as soon as your hair grows back, <laughs> you're just another person in the crowd. <laughs> wow. What an eye-opening experience um, for you and something that I don't think people can, like I certainly feel like I can't completely relate to unless you go through it yourself. And yeah, I tip my hat off to you to speak of this so bravely. Um, and I think it's such an inspirational story and the work you're doing and advocating for these health services and for people in rural Australia is so important. Mm. Being a livestock leader, which you became in mm. September last year, those skills that were taught in that workshop, have they, or even just that network that was built, what does that mean to you? Yeah, so my, my motivation for, for joining, I think sometimes like I, I'm on the other side, you know, in terms of age as well, which is really unfortunate because um, there, there were none of the programs and, you know, endless scholarships and um, development programs when I was a graduate. Um, at 21, just turned 21. And, um, you know, I've, I'm secretly really jealous of you young people that you've just got so much opportunity. And then, you know, and then combined with that opportunity, there does seem to be a lot of age parameters to things, you know, that, um, you know, it's assumed, I suppose, that when you are the other side of 30, that you've got it, you know, like that, you know what you're doing, um, or simply that you're not the target group anymore. But as I said, with my perspective, it's very much about lifelong learning, developing yourself over your whole lifetime, um, just all those collective experiences bring um, something to the table. And, and then when you get that shared combined experience of other people's life experience around the table, then that becomes really powerful because suddenly you've got this big melting pot of possibility. So for me, always, I put my hand up to as many things as I have capacity to do. Um, I always appreciate development programs because, um, you know, developing, it becomes, you know, as much about for, for the Livestock Collective as much as about a combined effort and uh, a united voice as it actually does about building the personal skills of that person anyway. So, um, you know, they're getting, they're getting a huge benefit by being put into that environment where they can, then they can, you know, they sometimes you even surprise yourself with what you say. So, um, you know, that's an important part. Like when we start talking to each other and sharing ideas and um, planning possibilities um, sharing messages but also having an individual capability of breaking out of that to use in your own life that that's amazing um, so so very much I attend these things to um, meet people uh, to to develop self to share my experience I mean I'm probably I hope I'm not boring the pants off people by um, rambling on but you know like you do have tons of experience and yeah I'm very keen on young people in terms of motivating them um, leading them steering them whatever they want to do I, I'm very open about having young people in my networks because um I guess yeah back to that experience um I 
that that new saying where you you can't be what you can't see I became what I couldn't see and it, um yeah that that ethic of persistence and okay it's weird and it's strange and I don't know it but I'm going with it because it feels right um sometimes you have a gut feeling about something and you and it is the right decision to make um so so that sharing back is very important to me so let's talk about feedback. I love getting feedback and feedback is super important um, to reaffirm that you're on, on the right direction and the right path um, and, and that reiteration that what you're doing is making a difference to people's understanding. Getting negative feedback is actually a blessing too. Um, negative feedback, I, sh I should say well-constructed negative feedback, um, because that gives you that opportunity to grow. And as I said, that, you know, that's all we're looking for is that, that growth opportunity, that growth mindset. Um, so absolutely. And feel free to give me feedback on this interview as well. <laughs> I will do. Thanks, Alicia. <laughs> like, yeah, we're so lucky as young people that we have all these opportunities and we've been very conscious through the Livestock Leaders Program that we've never put an age cap on it because I don't think like you're saying no one stops learning and advocacy everyone can advocate for agriculture or for their industry so that's so important to us and it sounds like access to that network across Australia we've been so fortunate to have such wonderful people like yourself now all over Australia and all throughout the like, whole red meat supply chain we think that's super empowering mm. giving those people a voice and that supply chain is really important right because and and that program has welcomed that which is really refreshing to be honest so it isn't a program just for people that um have like produced livestock at the at the production end um it's anyone really from right across that end right up to the the consumer or the people that are preparing meat for the the consumer or um product so with the wool industry or um you know it's that's really important because, um, you know, stereotypical agriculture says that it's, um, you know, dirty, smelly work on a farm. And we know that there's so many people, 85% of the, the so workforce is, uh, is connected beyond the farm gate. And that's the bit that working backwards through the supply chain. So we work from the other end, we use to resonate with students because that's the point of familiarity. Um, you know, talking about farms, uh, whilst that might excite them for a short time, um, it, it's it's still too it's still too unfamiliar to really engage with it unless we've taken a journey of relevance to them. Yeah, and that's a, such an important point because there's actually studies that show how the public view agriculture, and they don't segment it even between wool and beef and live export or whatever it is or post farm gate it's all under one big umbrella of agriculture and uniting is so important to us so just wrapping up do you think there's more opportunities in this space down the track i do um and, and it's a critical time right now isn't it so um you know, we have been talking about this for a little time, but it's really ramped up since the COVID, um, you know, the, the acuteness of that last year. Um, the, the, you know, the impacts of that felt on our um, workforce labour, particularly uh, the distribution of food. You know, when, when we saw all that panic buying and we saw crazy things like the toilet paper fly off the shelves, um, that, that clearly spoke a message of, I do not understand my position in this supply chain. 
Because if I understood my position in the supply chain, I would know that there's no issue with toilet paper running out. Um, uh, but that mentality that people, which is very contagious, uh, when they, they see, a bit like how we were talking about before about how that perception, when you that visible sign, when you see visible signs, that can send people into a different place and they, they start demonstrating different behaviour. So I really think that was a critical time uh, to have some messaging around this space um, and, and there were some, some good attempts to do that. I, I always think that we can do a better job and what I think would be really disappointing is if... Um, you know, the life got back to normal, not that we don't want um, COVID to disappear, but if life went, went back to normal and then we forgot the lessons learnt in that period of time, lessons learnt, but also what the real opportunity was, because to me, looking at, you know, what was happening around me and my understanding as someone that has had 25 years in the agriculture space now, that um, I just thought, wow, we, we've, there is a major opportunity here, right here and now to... Um, to connect with these the vast majority of the population it's just how we do it and it's also how we mobilize the stakeholders in the industry so the industry can't afford to have uh, multiple confusing messages um, and it needs to say okay we all have this in common what are we collectively or what are our key messaging you work in communication, you know, you know, the very basics that you're going to ask are who are you, what's your key messages and who's your target audience? I mean, they're just really simple things, but, um, and over the years, um, maybe some of the disconnection comes from not necessarily understanding how people in the population really think. So my work with the young people and, and students in schools, um, you know, really when when we ask them directly about perceptions and what they care about then it enabled an opportunity to craft a message that would reach them so you're hitting them in the heart you're touching them because you're actually speaking my language now not yours and I think that's that's the really important thing to take away that we really don't want to waste what limited opportunities we have to really make whole scale change um, but we need to listen to uh, the people that are consumers of our product and uh, certainly welcome them in as part of the supply chain because they are, let's face it, without people, we have no product to sell because there's a supply and demand and that's how it works. So, you know, we always have to be listening to, um, to who we're producing to. Yeah, absolutely. And that's um, part of our vision at the Livestock Collective is everyone in the public having a shared understanding and connection to agriculture and there's such an opportunity there and one of our presenters in the workshop tells us that most people are in a conversation with the or listen to someone else with the intent to reply not to understand and that really resonated with me and um, it sounds like with you as well from the workshop that yeah that we have a conversation to have but we need to understand like where the consumer is coming from. Absolutely. And that's why um, the old saying goes uh, that you have two two ears and one mouth, that you have to listen twice as much as you speak. So um, yeah. sometimes just listening is all you need to do because it's collecting evidence um, and, and do that across a diversity of, um, you know, locations or populations. And then somehow you've got something really powerful. Um, I'll give you yeah. I'll give you one example, if you like. And um, many years ago, probably about eight or so years ago, more than that, actually, but um, 
um, I went into a school and I, I asked it, and it's relevant to your industry. So I went into a school um, just to find out what young people um, what what was the gap again back to that being naturally curious that's not a normal thing for people to do to go and just find out stuff but um I was interested and um and so these kids were probably around 12 or 13 12 or 13 years old um we'd talked a lot about different aspects of agriculture one of the activities was just simply putting some grains on the table and they loved it they were just curious and they they kind of had guesses around what these different things would be and um in in some instances made really educated guesses because they took the time to observe and I, I really think that's lacking in our lives we actually just don't take time to observe and to, to slow down to think and and with social media that's you know it's just constant noise all the time but you know listening you know to your thoughts and yourself and to actually have reflection in your life it's really important thing to do so the meat side of that was uh, I asked a young um, girl how she what she knew about the the meat industry and 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 she went along to say that she knew that we produced you know the product here that we 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 grow the animals here she then said that they went on a on a boat um and they went to a place called china and then when they got to china she said they were they were chopped up there and then they were sent back to australia um and then <laughs> that was the product that people bought in the shops in the in the in the meat aisle and um I was a little bit astounded but again I didn't I didn't have judgment around that because that was based on that young person's experiences and I, I was curious to know what had led her to that pattern of thinking um and it turns out that her response was well I know I know that they go go on the boat because I've been down at Fremantle and I always rally against you know this practice it's terrible that we send um, live animals on a boat um, but then when we came to the other side when she was talking about having them chopped up I thought well that's kind of you know she's used some fragment of um, of of knowledge there maybe it, she's worked out you know that things are cheaper to produce in China so that there's you know it's a plausible thing for a young person with no um, necessarily deeper knowledge um, but it was the bit that when I asked the question about you know coming back to and it, you know that's the meat that is available in shops and then she just paused and she realized how nonsensical that was so that that they go live um, they, they and they they, they just go on a, a kind of boat cruise around the world and then come back and and be chopped up for people to eat so yeah. but but really seriously she no one had ever asked her that question so so that is something that I hope the livestock industry listened to because you know there's plenty of 13 year olds in the world and and this is why we need to to come to them in a, you know and in that non-judgmental way and to ask questions be curious um and and then present balanced arguments um we can't get defensive there's no point getting defensive we need to actually just accept where people are and and if you know if we have any stake in um, them developing a deeper understanding um as you know there's some people you can't change their mind that's okay we don't work with them um, necessarily we put our energy investment into where we can make the most positive change and that that is really lesson of life, isn't it? It's not peculiar yeah. to one thing. That's where you should be focusing your attention anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And what an interesting story. Um, like that 13-year-old has obviously picked up bits of information here and there. Um, 
parents are obviously against live export. I'm assuming she didn't go by herself down to the wharf with the well, sign to rally against. That That is a curious question because I said that, you know, without judgment, I said, how, how do you know all this? You know, you've got, you know, a great um, collection of information there, <laughs> trying to be positive. Um, and, uh, and, and she said, well, I do know this because I go down there and rally with mum every time there's a ship in Fremantle. So that's what the livestock industry need to uh, listen to um, because quite frankly, um, people's perceptions are, are developed from beliefs and experiences or lack of experiences. And, um, and, and that's, that's really what we need to take into consideration. Yeah, and fill that void of information. Thank you so much, Alicia. I feel like we could talk for <laughs> so long and solve all the world problems. <laughs> yeah, thank you for having me. That was really fascinating. Um, I've loved it, absolutely. And I hope, I hope your listeners get something out of that. And um, I'm really happy to share share my stories. Um, like I said, there's a, a few different parts to me. And, uh, yeah, I I'm, I'm very strongly advocate for the things that I'm passionate about So, and want to encourage all your your listeners as well to do the same yeah absolutely I think you have an inspiring tale to tell and you do it with such um, poise and such bravery that I really tip my hat off to you and you really appreciate you coming on board with us and love having you as part of our livestock leaders program so a big thank you to our audience as well for listening every fortnight we release a new episode with more leaders and champions throughout the livestock industry Please subscribe or leave a review and join our community on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn at Livestock Leaders to hear more real and empowering stories.